Hey, Emily. Hey, Greg. Um, can I see your ID? Yeah, you know what? Today you can, but this weekend you couldn't. <laughs> so I had one of my classic 20-something in Chicago moments where I'm out on Saturday and we're at an event and we're ready to go to the bar and I look in my wallet and my ID that it was there an hour ago was no longer there. So I go and I sulk and I go home early, which is probably for the wiser. And I'm really bummed and I know by the end of the week I got to go to the DMV. But last night I'm at yoga and I come home and apparently... A mystery man appeared at my doorstep. Guardian angel, if you will. My guardian angel. Where did you Where did you leave it? Did you do the hold my ID while I go and order many beers type deal, or did it just fall out somewhere? It fell out somewhere. Mm. It's probably in my pocket. Now, when you think of this guardian angel, are you surprised that it didn't ask for any compensation? Because I know I would have. Uh, I'm surprised he didn't ask for more credit because he probably no knew I you know if he looked up my name that it wasn't going to give him a shout out on this podcast, and I would have. <laughs> So that's probably the most shocking element of it for me. Um, just someone doing a good deed without um, any ask for recognition. I mean, once he discovers that you're the co-host of the ESPN on Ice podcast, now all of a sudden we're talking about a ransom situation. I have your ID. Make me feel Kessel loves hot dogs this week or I will never give it back. Uh, just so you know, Greg and I are FaceTiming right now. He's doing that with no device, just his hands. That is very it's, impressive. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. It's also how I do my Bane impression. Oh, Mr. Wayne. See, it's just, it's, hands are an amazing thing. All right, coming up on ESPN Ice today, uh, we have some awesome interviews, actually. Rocky Wirtz, the owner of the Chicago Blackhawks, talks to us about uh, a fascinating new book about his his life and his family and and, and stuff in there that... Honestly, I didn't know about uh, the uh, Bill Wirtz years. And then Sarah Sivian uh, uh, from the Athletic Raleigh, correct? Is it the Athletic Raleigh or what? Carolina, what do they call it? We'll have to ask. Um, she's going to join us to talk about parachuting into a new uh, uh, market as a writer. It's going to be very interesting. Uh, plus, many, many discussions to be had about a suspension this week, teams that are off to a bad start, puck headlines, all that good stuff. So let's start the show proper, shall we? From the ice to your earbuds, a podcast about hockey, featuring things to do with hockey. From your friends at ESPN, it's ESPN on ice with Wachinski and Kaplan. Hey everybody, welcome to ESPN on ice, the podcast where ESPN talks about hockey. I'm Greg Wachinski, senior writer. I'm Emily Kaplan, a national NHL reporter. Ooh. And uh, so the big news this week, I think we could all admit, is, uh, as it usually is in the world of hockey, a suspension, a player safety incident. Elias Peterson. Now, before we get going, uh, Emily, we were talking before the show about how to pronounce this young star of the Vancouver Canucks' name. And we all thought it was Pedersen. I found a YouTube clip in which he actually pronounces his name as Elias Peterson. Elias Peterson, but you're telling me that that is actually the chewed up Budweiser McDonald's Americanized version of his name. Yeah, well, according to my research on r slash Canucks on Reddit, <laughs> uh, you know, I always believed it was Peterson, and the fine folks here who I'm telling you are probably the most devout Canucks fans said that he said in an interview when he comes to North America, he was going to make it uh, more Angelicized and make it uh, Peterson. But mm-hmm. little did he know, all Canucks fans already knew all about him and did their research and were already calling him Pet and Pedersen. So um, it's all one big mess. Your feelings on name changes like this, because I also saw that 
uh, Joel Ar- Ar- Arnia uh, of the uh, uh, Canadiens has decided to become Joel, I believe. I, I totally endorse that decision, but I will always have Jesper Faust as my all-time name change because apparently there was an H at the left of, end of his name. And when he came to the NHL, he's like, nope, I'm going to be Jesper Fast. Yeah. Uh, my favorite name change, of course, of all time is when uh, Alexander Semen came into the league. We <laughs> all were referring to him as Alexander Seaman as that was his last name for his first couple of years. And then all of a sudden, out of the blue, over the summer, it became Semen. And we're like, all right. <laughs> all right. Well, Elias Peterson um, – was uh, concussed uh, by Mike Matheson, uh, Florida Panthers defenseman, uh, in a game recently. Uh, if you haven't seen the play, I'm sure you've seen the play, but if you haven't seen the play, it's a situation where Peterson sort of deeks Matheson to the ice with a nice move in the corner. Matheson gets a little steamy about it, maybe, comes over, checks Peterson behind the uh, the net against the end boards after he had played the puck, and then does what can only be uh, termed a, uh, a rock bottom on our young uh, d- uh, a rookie star. Sending to the ice, his head bounces off the ice, concussed out seven to ten days, and Matheson gets a two-game suspension for it. This is a very contentious suspension for a number of reasons, but your thoughts on the two-game ban, Emily? Could have predicted it, right? Uh, you kind of felt like it was the perfect storm uh, where this is a guy we've been talking about so much. He is super hyped. He's so exciting. And he gets concussed and he's injured and he's out 7 to 10 days, which minimum, obviously, you never know with head injuries. And as much as we say we don't, we'd like to treat every player the same when it comes to suspensions, the truth is it doesn't feel that way. Um, I will give the NHL um, Department of Player Safety credit. They are very transparent. They do say they do take injuries into account when dis- determining discipline. But this is a play that, to me, if it happened to any other player, probably would not have gotten looked at this much. Interesting. Interesting. Do you um, agree? I don't know. I don't know if I agree or not. I mean, I, I do think that they, they, even though they talk about the fact that who the player is doesn't factor into it, I think that sometimes it, it, it should and it needs to. Uh, in their eyes, I don't, I don't, I'm not a really big fan of like, uh, Ken Campbell, the hockey news made the example of like, who pays money to see Mike Matheson? I'm like, that's a horrible way to go about player no, safety no, because then no. when a star, when a star player pulls some shenanigans, then all of a sudden they get off the hook. Like, you know, there's been a number of big name players that got suspended in recent years. Uh, Gabe Landeskog, Kevin Shattenkirk, and on and on and on. Right. I think and that's my the point way it is should that be. it's a high profile player, no matter on what side of the hit, it sure. gets more scrutiny. No, and more my, pressure to create some kind of discipline. I thought he gets a game. Um, he gets two, obviously, because of the concussion. And when there's a concussion involved or any, you know, injury, they're going to, you know, add that and factor into the ultimate punishment. But, you know, for me, the thing about this play was the reaction to it. I was kind of stunned by and a little bit baffled by it. Like, here's where, where we should, what we should celebrate about this suspension. Player safety worked. It worked. You have to look at the play itself and understand the situation and the context of it. And the context of the situation is this. There was a play in the third period of a game that took out one of Vancouver's best players. And Matheson wasn't penalized for it. Now, if there had been a penalty called, he probably would have gotten a major because there's a factor within the interference penalty called degree of violence. The degree of violence here was that he slammed another player to the ice injured him so you're thinking probably a game misconduct there 
which would have impacted Florida because Vancouver has been impacted. So from a very basic bare bones, here's what supplemental discipline should be. This worked. Florida loses a player for a game in theory because Vancouver lost their guy for the third period. So on a basic level, good suspension. They add a game in because of the injury. That is whatever. But basic level, this is what you'd want out of supplemental discipline. When they screw up and they don't call something on the ice and a game is impacted by it, well, now you rush in and you supplementally discipline the player. So from that aspect, Emily, spot on. Good job, right? Right. Exactly. Okay, so here's where things get fun. This began this weird argument amongst some people in the league and around the NHL about the physicality of the game vis-a-vis young, less muscularly developed players. A very weird argument to get into, but let's delve. Jason Strudwick uh, tweeted, Matheson takes his forward out like he's supposed to along the wall. If he takes it easy on him, he can get burned. Physical game, big difference in strength. No fine, no suspension. The idea of a suspension or fine for Matheson is nuts. Is a D-man supposed to tailor his physicality to the weight or strength of opposing players? This is crazy. Nick Kiprios on Sportsnet was on in on size disparity too. Are we leaning towards protecting these guys, or is it when you play with the big boys, you're going to get hurt? Now, it's kind of weird how this argument didn't come up when Rasmus Ritzelainen was suspended three games for hitting Jake Gensel, although Ritzelainen is 6'4", 220, and Gensel is like... Not. Not. <laughs> My favorite thing on Jake Gensel ever, I always say. There was a scout that once told me that he was lower on their boards because they thought his wrists were too skinny. He literally looks like the statue of a cherub, but like thinner. But my point is this. The size disparity thing doesn't seem to ever come up when we have these other conversations about player safety. Um, it's never like, hey, where's this guy's elbow regarding this guy's head? Or, you know, obviously this guy is going to get hurt on the play because he's tiny. But now all of a sudden, because the league has been populated by some smaller players, now all of a sudden we're being concerned about whether or not the game is too physical for these young kids. Um there is no question that the game is getting smaller. James Myrtle does this thing every year where he looks at the NHL's average weight. Uh, it dipped under 200 pounds potentially for the first time he believes in the last 20 years. That's mostly because we are dealing with a faster game, which means that we're dealing with smaller defensemen, your Sam Gerrards and so on and so forth. So like you, you, that, that part of the game is getting smaller. We're not seeing hulking defensemen anymore. So the overall weight of the players is dipping below 200 pounds on average. We praise the game for being faster and better than it's been in years. Goals aplenty. Austin Matthews is going to score 143 goals. Everybody's super super happy because these young players have come in and they've energized the game. And now we're worried about maybe they're too tiny to start playing in the NHL. Like Kiprios went on on this thing about whether Jack Hughes, who's going to be drafted first overall by a team, and literally print money for that team for being a rookie on their roster and being one of the best young American players to come through since Matthews. He's worried that Jack Hughes is too small to play in the NHL. Now, some of these things are valid and some of them aren't. Um, I agree that maybe we should be patient with player development, and I agree that at some point Elias Peterson is going to be probably bigger than he is now. But this idea 
that we're going to use this play as a hill to die on, that we're going to use a play in which a guy follows up a legal check by literally throwing a man to the ice to concuss him because he's got boo-boo face over having been embarrassed by a move in the corner moments earlier. If we're going to use this as the hill to die on here, let me let me cut to the, to the chase here. Don't be worried about whether smaller players can hang in the grueling, brutal NHL. Worry about the defensemen throwing them down on the ice to intentionally injure them. <laughs> that, to me, should be the focus. Not the weights of the players, not the rail thins, you know, Swedes and, and Americans entering the game. Worry about the thing that happened on this play. If they can't handle the grind, they can't handle the grind. But the idea that this play, a clearly illegal play, in which he throws a guy down to the ice and would have gotten a game misconduct had the referees seen it, which they didn't. And even the Vancouver bench said that they, th- they didn't really know what to make of the play at the time. Don't use this the, as this is the hill to die on. Of course this is a suspension. This isn't a hockey play. This isn't an old, ho- old-time old hockey argument. It's an illegal play. He deserved a suspension. And and don't make this into some sort of like, you know, hill to die on or, or some bully pulpit about the size of players. Don't rock bottom guys behind the net. There. There it solves the problem of the younger, smaller players in the league. Doesn't it feel to you that they're just using this play as an excuse to get to this argument which is just burning inside them? Of course, but the you know what's what's amazing to me about this argument, because now it also spreads into the whole like, are we is player safety overstepping its bounds? Are we taking the physicality of the game? I would say it's maybe one out of every 10 discussions we have about player safety in which we talk about them penalizing something that might maybe shouldn't be penalized. The other nine times we're crying about them not going after guys like Tom Wilson for concussing other players. So if the argument is, oh, my God, what's happening to the physicality? Well, what about the other nine times when they don't do anything? This time they did something and they should have done something. So I... I don't buy it. I don't think it's an issue. I think it's a really weird decision to look at a play in which one of the brightest young stars in the league, a guy who is a legit Calder candidate, gets thrown to the ice by a petulant defenseman and be like worried about the physicality being taken out of the game instead of being like, don't hurt the young stars with your nonsense. Yeah, I I just it, it boggled the mind. But, you know, two games is fine. It's whatever. We, we move on uh, as a society. The game is faster and it is younger and it is it is better than it's been in years. And, and these type uh, of plays I, are going to keep happening and these discussions will keep happening. Right. And I just I just hope that it doesn't get crushed under the foot of some giant dinosaur who's worried about the checking not being there. And these kids don't even know how to get hit. <laughs> Come on. It's nonsense. All right. I think it's time to welcome a new sponsor to the show, Emily. It is. And, you know, Discover is the official credit card of the NHL. And with Discover, you can show how much you love your team everywhere you shop with a personalized card featuring your favorite NHL's team's logo and colors. But no matter what team you root for, Discover is committed to rewarding all the new card members with cashback match. Only Discover offers a dollar-for-dollar match on all the cashback you've earned and at the end of your first year, automatically. No caps, no sign-ups. Redeem your awards in any amount at any time, and they never expire. With all that extra cash, you can treat yourself to center ice seats to the game, your favorite player's jersey, or maybe even buy some new headphones to listen to your favorite podcast on. Just saying. <laughs> Try it and believe it at discover.com slash NHL. Only for new card members. Limitations apply. Well, you know what? Speaking of discovery, I discovered a few things 
about Rocky Wirtz during your conversation with him. What did you discover about Rocky and talking to him? He's a brutally honest man that doesn't want revisionist history. Uh, that's the most interesting thing I found. You know, when I read his book, it's not a puff piece, and he says that easily. It's It unearths some ugly details, and look, you can go with whatever motivations you will of why he decided to participate with this book, but um, it, it's a fascinating look at their history. So I got right into it with uh, Mr. Wirtz when I uh, asked him this first question. Well, Rocky, uh, first, thanks for joining us, and Perhaps I didn't know what to expect when I got the book, but I was blown away by some of the vivid and frankly candid details about dysfunction and drama in your family, especially that pertain to the end of your father's life at the secession plan for the Blackhawks. Why did you feel it was important to help share that story? Well, um, Brian Smith, who's the author, um, was bugging me to write write something, and so he, he had written a article in 2008 for a local uh, Chicago ma- Chicago magazine. And uh, that was before, you know, the Hawks had had won anything, you know, at, at, because at that point we hadn't won a Stanley Cup since 1961. So no one knew what to expect. And so he wrote the article. And, and then he in 2010, um, when the Hawks won the first time, he again came back, and then the same in 13 and then 15. So finally I thought, well, if we're going to write, if he's going to write something, I'll collaborate with him. But two things had to, had to be done. First of all, it couldn't be a puff piece. And no one wants to read about, you know, how great the owner is, especially if they have two nickels to rub together. And I said, so you can't do that. It has to be, it has to be honest. And it has to be candid. And the second thing is I'd like the proceeds to go to the Chicago Blackhawk Foundation. And uh, so um, that, uh, you know, that, uh, you know, wherever I can take, you know, expenses off the top, we want to do that. And then, um, and so Brian then agreed to do that. So that's how it kind of uh, evolved. And if that's the case, you might as well, you know, tell the the story that what, what's true and what's what's not. So uh, you can't tell a story unless you know you tell the whole story. And I think people can relate to it because I don't know of a family that doesn't have some form of dysfunction. And if they if they say they don't, then you know they're lying. I don't think a lot of people outside of Chicago knew about your father's dementia and how difficult that relationship became. Was it hard revisiting that, or have you made your peace? No, it was it was fine. I think the important thing is, it was kind of sad because he's holding on, and some of the behavior um, that you saw uh, was a combination of, of, you know, the early stages dementia, and you know he he wasn't the same after he had a stroke, you know, twelve years before. So um, some of the, it was a right side stroke. So some of that stuff we knew about, um, but you wanted to try to shield the public from you know some of the behavior and stuff. So some of the erratic behavior was that. So I think. If, if you realize that, you know, um, you know, he, he was my boss and I respect him and, you know, work for him. And if he told you what to do, you did it and he didn't, um, you might not agree with it. And you might, and I, you know, would stand up and say, I don't agree with you, but I'll do because you're my boss. I'll do what you tell me to do. Um, so you just had to kind of work around it and with it um, and hopefully not have the wheels fall off of not only the, you know, Blackhawks, but any of the other, you know, businesses that, uh, you know, worst corporations in. Well, one of the big things you did when you got the team was reverse your father's media policies. You saw the importance of getting the team on TV and how that would grow awareness and grow a fan base. I'm just curious, when you look at the NHL as a whole, as the league, what's an ideal situation for TV rights? Well, I think the, you know, it's it's moving so quickly. Um, you know, so you know, back in 07, putting the Hawks on TV, you know, it's, it sounds ridiculous. Um, you know, it's not only, you know, putting them on TV, it was like, Putting it, you know, it's like you might lose a generation or two. 
But now the thing is moving so quickly and people are getting um, uh, their information on so many different, you know, uh, areas. I think the important thing, you know, that the league does is, is make sure that, that people have access, um, and especially the, the younger people, you know, are not using the, the same means as their parents used. So, you know, whatever means that is, I think it's important for the, for the uh, 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 you know, the public to be able to, to um, you know, view the, the games in whatever meant, you know, way they want to view them. Do you think that there needs to be more than one network provider? I don't know. That's that's certainly uh, you know something for the the league to decide and and look at. But I think that they'll that certainly look at all options and uh, you know and you know what can be provided and what cannot. You know, and as I said, technology moved so quickly. Uh, we haven't even gotten to 4K, and now we're talking about you know you know the next uh, iteration on top of that. So uh, you know, it's going to be that you know I think that we're going to get down to. Um, it's going to be that we, you know, you're going to be like you're sitting right on the ice watching these games. Uh, yeah, who knows? Yeah, exactly. But I, I'll tell you what I will tell you. If you think you know today, by tomorrow it's going to be completely different. Well, back to the Blackhawks specifically, you know, there's a lot of turning points for the franchise, like the hiring of Jay, John McDonough and his right-hand man, Jay Blunk, drafting the right players and so on. But I don't think you win three Stanley Cups without Joel Quinville. Can you take us back to his hiring? I know it's described a little bit in the book, but people forget that there was some resumed risk involved. Well, you know, Joel, um, it was one of the things that, you know, he was he was there. He wasn't going to be in Colorado. And uh, at the time, um, you know, we, we all thought, you know, that it would just be it's just you want to get the best people you can. And Joel certainly, and in our opinion, was was the best person just to have there. And then everything kind of unfolded. And it wasn't really, you know, fair for for Dennis Savard because here he didn't have the experience that the other uh, coaches in, in that in that division had, and it's not his fault. Um, and he was kind of thrown in that position, and, and so it made it very awkward for him. Um, but you wanted someone that had, you know, had experience and you know had had been on winning you know, organizations. Joel obviously had, you know, both in St. Louis and in. Um, you know, he won the president's, uh, you know, trophy and then, you know, a, a cup in, in Colorado. So, um, you didn't know, you know, really that he'd have the success, but, but he's certainly done a terrific job and he, and he's, you know, just a, a great coach and the records speak for itself. Well, the book mentioned several times how ESPN, and we're sorry about this, ranked the Blackhawks as the worst organization in all of professional sports, but obviously he's that as motivation and made great strides since then. But I'm curious about your current challenge. You've reached success with this group, and now you're at the point where you have to sustain it. You know, you've built a huge fan base, but you have to keep them coming into the seats even if the team isn't contending. You know, We've seen other prestige teams, maybe the Red Wings, struggle to stay relevant. And even Phil Seats as it transitions. How do you avoid that? How creative will you be? Well, I think you have to, you have to um, look at like a consumer product that you have to reinvent yourself every five years. And I think that the, with the, with the Hawks, the important thing is for the organization to keep being relevant, and um, and you know, uh, you know, uh, connecting with the fans, and then and then also, you know, as far as the players, I mean, the the players that have taken a terrific, um, you know, role in in uh, being relevant to to the fans and the base too, and and obviously you want to win the cup every year, but you're not going to do that, but you can try to position yourself to do that. I mean, winning solves a lot of problems um and obviously last year wasn't you know a good year for that but again you know our job is to you know keep trying and and uh keep plugging away and seeing what you can do and 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 many times 
you know, the public doesn't always know what's going on. Uh, probably what you, you know, read in, in or hear, it's about 10% of, you know, actually what's going on. So I have great faith in the organization, and, and John McDonough's terrific, um, you know, executive, and, and the, the whole, uh, both the hockey and the business side. They will, the good thing is they're working together, and that's, that's the whole thing. There's not a we and they kind of, a, um, you know, uh, approach to anything that, it, you know, you win together and you lose together. But when you win together, it's a lot, it's a lot more fun. And, and uh, I think they're going to, you know, continue to reinvent themselves. And, and this is not the worst thing that happens. I think it's, it's good because you kind of take a, take a step back and you realize how long that summer is. No one wants to, wants to do that. Well, I know a lot of fans are concerned about the potential for a work stoppage in the NHL, especially as things seem to be pretty good right now from a growth and revenue front. Is there anything you can say to calm those fears as an owner? No, I mean, I think, um, I think you know, it's, it's, it's a fair system. You know, the, the players get, you know, the same as, as the owners get. And I think it's, uh, you see the success of, um, you know, of, of Las Vegas and then, you know, certainly the, uh, you know what what might be going on in Seattle going forward. I mean, certainly the fans out there are excited about it. So I hope I hope you know uh, just like uh, the fans. I hope there's not a work stoppage, and I would hate to hate to see you know to see that. So we'll just keep our fingers crossed and hopefully you know uh, not to see it because the game has grown so much and the excitement it's and it's gotten so fast and so young. Um, I think it would be a, sh- a shame for uh, you know for any kind of work stoppage that would happen. Well, you mentioned Seattle. You were in the executive committee meeting when the Seattle group presented. What can you share about that presentation? And am I right in saying Seattle feels like an inevitability at this point? Well, I mean, the owners will have to vote on it in, in the December meeting, but it certainly they did a terrific job in the presentation. And, and uh, it could be very interesting how, what they're going to do in, that, in their building about keeping the roof and then going down, um, which, should be, which should be, you know, quite a, quite a feat. So, I think it's going to be great for you know hockey. It's certainly it's great for the, on the for Vancouver and the and, and the West. I mean, and uh, I think it'll just be you know good for everyone. So I'll just uh, you know hopefully that you know the owners will uh, will feel comfortable about it and vote on it you know in December. But I you know but I think it would be a terrific uh, thing for the league and for the players. Awesome. Well, I really appreciate your time, and I will recommend the book to anyone I know because as I said earlier, I was pretty blown away by it it was it was very candid and honest so uh thank you for helping share your story well thank you and i appreciate for asking our thanks to rocky wirtz uh for joining the podcast uh the book is the breakaway the inside story of the wirtz family business and the chicago blackhawks by brian smith um a lot of enlightening stuff in there as you've heard uh including a lot of stuff about uh bill wirtz that i didn't realize especially the uh yeah mental health uh, towards the end of his life um, but it, it's an interesting book and, and Rocky's a fascinating guy because like, here's a guy who, you know, in many ways through his own successes has redeemed a franchise that his father did not do any favors for, <laughs> for many years, uh, with regard to promotion of the team and his relationship with the media and all, all on and on and on, which you can read in the book. Uh, it's called the breakaway. So the Blackhawks so far, um, are not uh, one of the dregs of the league, as many predicted. Uh, through five games, they're uh, 3-0-2. Uh, obviously, the Jonathan Taves uh, offensive tear at the beginning of the season got a lot of uh, recognition. Uh, but to be 3-0-2 without a healthy Corey Crawford, I think, is noteworthy as well. You've seen the Char- the, uh, the Blackhawks a little bit. Uh, anything surprise you about this team? Or can, they keep, can they keep this going? Yeah, it's the revival of Jonathan Taze, in my opinion. Uh, the fact that he looks like he's playing as a man on a mission. 
Uh, I really like the top line with him and Debrinket. Debrinket, if you haven't watched him yet, is, is butting into this nice slender star. Uh, one of the nice, young, speedy, slender guys oh, in the league. I don't, I don't uh, know if he can hang in this league. He's no. tiny. Well, I, I think his most fascinating is the fact that they separate him from Kane because they're both such quick players, but he has talked about it. They're both guys that need the puck a lot, so he likes to mm-hmm. separate them. But yeah, the defense has stood up as decent. You know, I thought that was going to be a weakness for them. And Cam Ward has been a little bit worse than I expected, to be honest, uh, if mm-hmm. I want to be frank. But they're circling this Thursday date. October 18th for Corey Crawford. Maybe by the time you listen to them, there's clarity. Wednesday, tomorrow, we'll find out from Q what's going on. But if they can, you know, keep putting up these offensive numbers, they get slightly better goaltending. Mm-hmm. They could so, float in the central. They could. They could be uh, around the bubble, sniffing around it. Might not do them any favors. They probably could take a step back this year and reload a little bit more. But who's to say? There's too much pride in that room, I think, to do that. Uh, they are a surprise, but there are other more negative surprises. I suppose we should probably start in the Western Conference as far as teams that are underperforming significantly to start the season. Uh, chief among them would be the Vegas Golden Knights, two and four, uh, off the hop in their first six games. The big surprise here for me is a negative eight goal differential for the, the Golden Knights for a team that, you know, was very much on the plus side last season. Uh, they, they, relied overly relied on Mark Andre Fleury to recently win a game in Philly. Uh the horrible news for them obviously is that Paul Stasny could miss what they say is up to two months with an injury, a prime uh free agent acquisition in the summer, a guy that was going to anchor their second line with Max Patchy ready. Um the the good news for Vegas, if if there is a silver lining, is the fact that they obviously their bread and butter was playing at home last season. They've only had one home game. They've lost it. But, uh, you know, the, uh, you know, five of the first six games on the road, not doing them any favors. Do you think that the Golden Knights goose is cooked? Or do you think that Cinderella can go back to the ball, Emily? I'm on team Cinderella. I think I look at them and their five on five numbers are actually pretty good, uh, which indicates that they should, uh, you know, maybe correct themselves in the market. I don't think enough is said about, look, this is a team without a number one defenseman, and they're missing their bona fide number one defenseman uh, for 20 games, and they have to withstand that. So that's probably uh, one of the reasons that goal differential looks the way it does. But first line is intact. That first line was real special last year, and uh, I think they've got some more magic in them. Yeah, I mean, and that's, that. like you said, the good news is is that the Marcia So line is still uh, carrying the offense. You, say that's good you know, the power play won. And, 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 you know, that's a good, that's a good sign. Uh, the depth obviously has been affected by the loss of Nate Schmidt. Um, and they, Alex Tuck's, I think, been out of the lineup too. So they, they, there's room for improvement here, uh, for the Vegas Golden Knights. And, and maybe the right recipe again is to get them back home where they obviously were a dominant team last season and, uh, start pulling them out of this tailspin. The Edmonton Oilers, as we do the show, uh, right now are uh, one and two on the season, only three games. Obviously, they had the overseas trip to start the year. Um, a critical win against the Rangers. I, I, Daryl Cates, their owner, was in the building. I think Gretzky was in the building, too, uh, when they played the Rangers. They pulled the victory out in the third period. Um, that was one of those moments where you say to yourself, uh-oh, that, that, that's uh, Todd McClellan strapped to the electric chair uh, if they lose that game to a, a, a rebuilding Rangers team. But they pulled it out. Um, obviously a, a team that is struggling mightily in, in many different places outside of the performance of Connor McDavid. Uh, the Oilers early this season, what are you seeing? And do you think that Todd McClellan is long for this coaching world? 
I say he's number one on my hot seat rankings if I were to write them this week, which I'm not because you are. So I'd love to see where you rank him. <laughs> little preview for ESPN.com this week. Uh, I see a team that once again looks exactly the same as last year. And that means it's a team buoyed by one player, Connor McDavid. Like we were all joking about it, but how troubling is it the stat that what was it? Their first five goals he either scored or assisted on. He had yeah. a piece of every one of them. I mean, mm-hmm. We see teams that are carried by their top line. Rarely do we see teams that are just carried by one player into the playoffs. I think that's very rare. And unfortunately, that's what it's looking like it could be. Yeah, and that's kind of why I picked him for the playoffs. I think that Connor's like superhuman <laughs> and could maybe <laughs> figure a way to, to make that happen. But, you know, that the depth issues on this team, again, we've talked about it before with Edmonton. You know, in a perfect world, Getting Edmonton into the playoffs is better for the NHL because you want McDavid in that spotlight and, and you want to see him compete and ha- and not have it be a situation like we had in years for it with Edmonton where bright young stars aren't on the biggest stage of the season because the team is, is you know, mired in futility. But at the same time, the best thing that can maybe happen for Edmonton is for them to miss the playoffs. Everybody gets fired. And then they can finally start building this team the right way instead of having Peter Chiarelli uh, sell off uh, premium grade A pieces for uh, the Adam Larsons of the world. I will say one shiny Larson, thing in Edmonton. Yeah. yeah. Lucic. I notice him when they play. Yeah. And I mean, he's cut weight. He, you know, he was bound to bounce back at some point. So um, that's a good thing. We'll see how long he can keep keep it up for. But that supporting cast for McDavid is uh, not great, Bob. Not great, Bob. Um, two teams that are both in the West that a lot of us thought would be around the bubble. Maybe maybe St. Louis a little bit better than the bubble. But the Blues and the Wild are both 1-2-2 two, and two to start the season. Neither one of them really acquitting themselves well. St. Louis obviously dealing with uh, a, a bit of, uh, of injury concern uh, as we begin the season with Jaden Schwartz, which is a surprise to no one. Um but both teams kind of middling, and, and I think in, in both cases, maybe Bruce Boudreaux more than Mike Yo, simply because of the general manager change there, maybe some concerns about the seats warming up for those guys. Yeah, but can we just talk about the Blues? 7 for 23 on the power play. Not bad. After a terrible, <laughs> terrible, terrible power play year last year. Uh, the Jaden Schwartz injury is troublesome, but the problem... The- I guess the crux there is that here's a team that built the best forward depth in the league, one of them, right? Yeah. Uh, so they should be able to withstand that. Uh, the big thing here, and, you know, I feel foolish for not saying this. You were the one that was harping on this early. It's all about goaltending in St. Louis. And through four starts, Jake Allen has a .878 save percentage, 4.13 goals against average, and Chad Johnson mm-hmm. is his backup. Yeah, uh, not the best. Uh, a 4.02 uh, a negative 4.02 goals saved above replacement for Allen so far. And that was my big issue with, with that team. I mean, I still want to believe that they're good enough and deep enough to make the playoffs in the West, but that was the concern with that team. Want to also mention, uh, the Arizona Coyotes that are, uh, one in three right now. Um, only two points in the season in the first two games, first two games, but there's one number that needs to be spoken about when it comes to the Arizona Coyotes. A shooting percentage right now. Oh my God. Let me, let me, let me, let me frame it this way. The Toronto Maple Leafs have the best shooting percentage in hockey at 15.3. Mm-hmm. It's great. It's unimpeachably great. The Arizona Coyote shooting percentage right now as a team is 1.4. <laughs> I mean, there will be some course correction here. That is for sure. You don't play a 91.7 PDO for the entirety of the season, but 
for all the, 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 the happy gas being pumped out of that franchise as far as things being different this year, oof, that's a bad start. That's a really bad start. But they've got franchise savior Alex Galchenia coming off the bench, right? Yeah, this is true. Uh, over in the East, quickly, the Florida Panthers' point of concern, an 0-2-1 start, not the start they wanted, obviously, for a team uh, that a lot of us thought was going to be uh, playoff bound and, and potentially push for 100 uh, points this season. Obviously, only three games in, so plenty of room for growth, but uh, a little stumble off the off the off the uh, the, the starting gate for the uh, Florida Panthers. But they'll be all right, I think. I'm not gonna lie; I haven't seen one of their three games, so I'm just not gonna even comment. Well, that's fine. <laughs> now there are a lot of people in Florida, but I'm bummed. Detroit, Aww. Detroit, our, uh, our boss uh, Chris Brown's team is 0 four and two. On the year so far in six games. Got a smackdown by the Montreal Canadiens the night before recording this. This is very true. And that smackdown contributed to a league worst minus 16 goal differential on the season. The only team to be in double digits in uh, in minus goal differential so far. You know, I, I, I thought this, this was going to be a rebuilding year for them. They were going with youth. They had their eyes on the draft. This was a step back year. And I said to myself, well, why would you fire Jeff Blaschel in a year like that? But this is getting out of hand a little bit. <laughs> this is getting out of hand a little bit in Detroit uh, for uh, Jeff Blaschel on the Red Wings. and makes me wonder whether he's going to be long for this world, too. It's a great question. And I know there was some speculation that that move could have come last year. Uh, as we mentioned on this podcast, I believe the there's no reason Detroit should look at this year for a winning year. There's just not on paper. It's loss. Uh, it, there's some cap space opening up next year if they can lure a good free agent and, and, you know, get a good draft prospect. But when it gets to the point where it's hampering the development of prospects, that's when I think you see Jeff Blaschel go. So once you see uh, these young guys not, you know, getting their feet under them, um, he's not wanting to be time to go. I just wish they looked better. And you know what? If you want to look better, there's only one way, <gasps> gentlemen. Indochino. Oh, yes. Indochino has fitted suits and fitted menswear that you got to see to believe. As I've talked about on the show before, they made my beautiful blue tux for my wedding. It fit perfectly. I'm a man man of odd proportion. And the Indochino people made me a suit that made me look like a million bucks. Look like George Clooney up in there for the wedding. Uh, they're expanding into casual clothing with made-to-measure chinos. Here's how it works. The most exciting made-to-measure menswear company makes suits and shirts to your exact measurements for an unparalleled fit and comfort. Uh, there's a wide selection of high-quality fabrics and colors to choose from. You visit a stylist in their showroom and have them take measurements personally, or you measure at home and shop online at Indochino.com. That's I-N-D-O-C-H-I-N-O.com. You choose your fabric, both inside and out. You design your customizations. You submit your measurements with your choices. And then kick back and relax until your suit gets tailored and mailed to you in a couple of weeks. This week, listeners to ESPN and Ice can get any premium Indochino suit for just 359 bucks at Indochino.com when entering the promo code ICE, I-C-E, at checkout. That's 50% off the regular price for a made-to-measure premium suit with free shipping. That's Indochino.com, promo code ICE, for any premium suit for just 359 bucks and free shipping. That's an incredible deal for a premium made-to-measure suit. Keep in mind, they're also making casual clothing, made-to-measure chinos, and all sorts of other stuff. 
Uh, you could look good at home. You could look good in the boardroom. They'll be good any time of year. For any occasion, Indochinos are available at, at an introductory price of 79 bucks U.S. So look good, feel good with Indochino. <laughs> Speaking of feeling good, we're feeling good about our next guest here on ESPN on Ice. Well, a team we've been talking about a lot in the NHL lately just because they're so fun is the Carolina Hurricanes. And lucky for us as hockey consumers is that they have a new beat writer, which is Sarah Sivion, uh, for the Athletic Carolina. Or is it the Athletic Raleigh? We will ask her. Um, Carolina, because Charlotte is where the other teams are. Yes, yeah, here she is. And uh, we have just been loving her work. She's done some great features. And uh, selfishly, I like her because she's a Penn State alum like me. But we wanted to bring her on the show to ask her a bit about the new gig and the most fun team in hockey. So, Sarah, welcome. Thanks for having me. First off, we are Penn State. Second off, <laughs> I mean, a lot of fun is being had here. More do you still want to on the Penn State football field these days? Yeah, I was going to say, do you still want to oh, admit no. you are Penn State after that after that game last weekend? We are loyal. Uh, we are Penn State and more of a whisper than a yell now. <laughs> I wanted to ask you. I wanted to ask you first because I find it kind of fascinating. So you you got this athletic gig when? When did you get hired? Um, like a month ago. Uh, it, it was during training camp actually, and um, I was getting geared up for the Bruins season, just like attending their training camp like four days in i get an email that's like your name's coming up um would you be interested in talking about this position and i was just i mean it was a no-brainer to me just because uh, the opportunity to write like long stories kind of take your time with them and thoughtful thorough reporting and moving somewhere where everything was kind of new with the team um that just seemed like a no-brainer to me so it all went so fast yeah, I, and I've been fascinated by that. How how is it like, kind of just parachuting into a market like during camp and trying to <laughs> trying to get up to speed? That must be insane, right? I mean, yeah, I'm pretty hard on myself too. So it's like, oh, I missed this thing. Oh, like I'm a failure. But then I I have to like zoom out and be like, okay, I'm not. I'm still getting used to things here. It's a process. You got to trust it, if you will, and. um yeah, it's been insane, but I've wanted to have kind of insanity, and I've wanted to give something my all, and, like, you really have to give it your all if you're just bombarding yourself into this place. And um, everybody's been really supportive and helpful, so that's made it 20 times easier. Yeah. So we've been talking so much about how fun the Carolina Hurricanes are and how different they seem from other teams. And perhaps you notice things because you did come from covering the Bruins and you're around them every day. What differences do you notice from those two organizations? I mean, that's a good question. Differences uh, so far. I mean, there's there's a lot of smiling in the Bruins locker room too, but there it seems like um, people. I mean, people have covered the team Carolina before. I think the differences between teams in the past and now are they are definitely smiling more and like having more fun with it for sure in the locker room and. Um, differences well boston definitely doesn't do the three clap and stay into the boards <laughs> after wins so <laughs> it's a, i guess it's a little more traditional there but i like that carolina starting its own traditions with stuff like that i mean i think the guys to start some lasting traditions would be justin williams and rod brindamore so that type of stuff it's cool that it's a new school type of feel with like letting the boys have fun but also like 
you can tell they're instilling like the hard work values that Brindamore like very obviously exudes and it's cool like to have that kind of juxtaposition of that you know yeah well I mean was was the vibe like could you feel a vibe coming into the season that was like yeah we're gonna get off we're gonna get shot out of a rocket cannon here like at the beginning of the season I mean was there a cautious optimism or was like yeah Absolutely. And I hate to be, I know I'm like super aware that I'm so optimistic and I'm like, oh, they're going to be undefeated. So I like try to um, temper my own expectations, but I, you got that feeling from the get go. It was just like watching his practices there. I mean, they're what you'd expect of team grit and team grind. It's like when, when they go hard, they go hard. And like he was joining in and it just seems like it is totally different in that aspect. Like he sometimes will practice with them and it's like, he is not messing around with his drills and that type of stuff. He just, they were ready. Like they were so ready. They wanted it to be different. And like, you just got the vibe that they, they were not, they're having fun, but they aren't messing around at all. So the Carolina Hurricanes are, you know, obviously getting some viral acclaim and in, in this hockey community, but you know, we are seeing some, <laughs> You never expected that sentence, right? Right? Some viral <laughs> acclaim from the Carolina Hurricanes. Uh, but we do see tangible results too. This is a team that finished, uh, with just a little over th- averaging 13,000 fans per game last year. They've only had, uh, three home games, but they're averaging 14,700 right now. When you go around town, like, are people talking about the Carolina Hurricanes? I mean, I'm sure you're meeting a ton of people. You tell them what you do. Uh, what's the vibe? Oh, the vibe. If you tell them what you do, they're like, oh, Rod's gonna, um, bring these guys, like, success. I think everybody, around the city is really excited even if they didn't get out to this hot start like attendance is definitely up because people believe in rod and like he wanted to come coach this city like he this is his place and i think the city loves him for it because you know like he he's such a i mean talented guy he could go a lot of places but i think he chose here and I think people really appreciate that. And, yeah, there's tangible results with that. And also, obviously, on the ice, um, you can tell with the way they play where, like, maybe they can – he has a really interesting system that's, like, you can make mistakes. Just make sure you're playing hard. So, obviously, in Minnesota, 57 shots, which was a record for an opponent in um, the Wild arena. And you could just tell, like, they were not giving up in, like, two ridiculous – third period comeback wins it's like yeah it's not perfect but you can tell where they might have given up in the past justin williams said that too they're like no we're gonna play this one through and it worked twice for them well you said rod is such a big identity you know identifying with this team give us your best rod story so far my best rod story so far <laughs> uh okay so at practice i think oh god all the days are bleeding into each other i'm like what even time zone am I in, but a few days ago, um, before we went on the road, he was skating in practice, and I think maybe he didn't realize that um, it was time to do interviews or whatever, but then when he realized, he just, like, skated right off and just into the interview room with his skates on and just got, did an interview with us, and then he just stopped back on the ice. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. It was great. Hey, what, what kind of kid is uh, Spechnikov? I think a lot of us are really sort of... Uh... Uh, got our eye on on him potentially being a caller candidate. Is he? How's his English? How, what kind of personality are we talking about? Um, a, a very humble. Very. I don't think. I mean, he just 
got here like a few years ago. I mean, I think he's trying his best. English, um, you got to feel for people that English isn't their first language. I could never talk to the media if I is a foreign language to me, but he's doing good. Um, he is really, people, I'm not going to compare him to that because I know how I get, but people have compared him to Gordie Howe because his strength, his size, his ability to do everything. Like, I'll see him create a play from the other side of the ice and then, like, he'll dish it to somebody else and then he also drives to the net. Like, he has the skills and, like, the tools to be an awesome player. And I love that... Um, Rod actually put him on the fourth line because he can. He feels like he can make mistakes. And yeah, he's making a few, but um, that's good for his development, I think, because, I mean, it's such an adjustment, playing just going straight to the league. Um, he's a really humble kid, though, and uh, I wrote a story about him after his first goal. Basically, he had a rough childhood growing up. Um, mm. Pretty, They didn't have a lot of money, but um, he and his brother are just like, trying to make it in the NHL. And um, so that's how he acts. Like, he's a very humble guy. It's my favorite things that's ever happened on the podcast. Where I'm, in my mind, I'm like, oh, she's going to say Ovechkin. She's going to say Ovechkin. They're like, people are saying he's Gordie Howe. <laughs> 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 that was somebody from Detroit. Right but still. still right, 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 right. Last one, last one for me. I mean, you, you were putting in your time. You were doing your homework on the Bruins before you uh, you took the, the gig in Carolina. What's your take on on the bees this year? Like, uh, they seem like they're in that sweet spot of veteran players and young guys to maybe maybe make a run at it. But you, did you think they were a cup contender this year? Absolutely. Yeah, no doubt about it. Um, Jake DeBrusque, I think he's going to have a breakout year. I mean, I watched him all season last season, even when he wasn't scoring goals. It's just. It's clear to me that he's a special player and the way that they desperately need depth. I think he and Donato can, if they can get going, it's all, it's such an if with the younger guys, but I think that they can provide depth eventually. It's just a process. I mean, the first line is always just disgustingly sick, but, um, so they don't want to break that up, but if they can find a way to get some depth, yeah, it's going to be, they can be a cup contender for sure. All right, Sarah, I really wanted to get into this 25-minute tangent on Eamon McAdams' emergency call-up. Greg, were you fully I aware of that? I saw it on Twitter yesterday, and I was like, oh, Penn State, we are. I would never wish ever for anybody to get hurt, but maybe it's somebody like brains their toe or something. So Eamon McAdams has a few minutes in the league. What's the, what's, the, what's the context on this, for those who don't know? Oh, okay. He was a Penn Stater, and he played goalie at Penn State for a few years, and I covered him. Emily, did you? The, the hockey team was just fledgling when I was there. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I came at the exact time where he started to be a legit Division One school. But, um, yeah, he played at Penn State. You don't see many Penn Staters in the league these days, so I hope he gets a few minutes in there. Pat his stat. And not only that, it was like getting called up by the Toronto Maple Leafs and all of Toronto media swarming. Who the hell is oh this God. guy? And Sarah going, I'm uniquely qualified to tell his story. <laughs> I am an Evan McAdam expert. Thank you very much. It's the only time I feel the authority to talk about a goalie. All right. <laughs> well, that's McAdam. all. That's all the time we have this week for Nittany Puck Talk. Uh, I'm Greg Wachinski, <laughs> uh, Penn State 04. Uh, yeah, I wish I was 04. Um, all right. But Sarah, we'll thank you so Sarah much. Spinoff podcast. Yeah. <laughs> we need to. We need to. Sarah, where can people find your work? Um, theathletic.com slash Carolina. There it is. Easy peasy. All right, yeah. Sarah. We'll give you my thanks. Twitter handle, but I won't subject you to that. <laughs> Our industrious <laughs> listeners will find it themselves, I am sure. 
Take care. Thanks for having me. Sarah Sivian. Following the team in Tampa, we had to tell her about the tiki bar before you hopped on that call. We did have to do that. And, you know, she could find that if she just walked out of her hotel. But, Greg, do you know that these days you can get practically anything on demand? I had no idea about that, Emily. These days you can. That's the way things work now for us uh, young millennials. And, you know, you can find our podcast on demand, listen wherever you want it convenient. But, Greg, did you also know that you can get postage on demand? Is that true? Maybe through the miracle of Stamps.com? All you need is Stamps.com. So uh, with Stamps.com, you can access the services of the post office, but right from your desk. What I found crazy about it, I've tried this myself, is that you can print real U.S. postage for any letter in any package. I was dumbfounded the first time I did it. I'm sorry. It's, it was amazing to me. It's all available 24 hours a day, seven days a week. You just click, print, mail, and you're done. Three steps. It's super easy. Uh, they even send you a digital scale. So you can weigh your letters and packages and print the same amount exact of postage every time. Like mm. you have to mail the same thing to the same person every time. If you're regimented like that, you can do it. So um, I love it. I can send – I'm planning to send all of my Hanukkah gifts to all the people that I know that celebrate Hanukkah. Maybe some Christmas gifts as well. Who knows? Who's to mm. say? Oh. And um, I think that right now you can use our special offer. It's just I-C-E, ICE, as in the name of our podcast. And you get a four-week trial – and that includes the postage and that digital scale I told you about. That was super cool. So just don't wait. Go to stamps.com before you do anything else. Maybe finish the rest of this podcast and then do it. You're going to click on the radio microphone at the top of the homepage. You'll always see it. It's right there. You type in ICE, I-C-E. That's stamps.com. Enter ICE. Phil Kessel loves hot dogs. No, he does not love to eat hot dogs. Good one, Randy. Oh. Good one. <laughs> Oh, he does love hot dogs, that Phil Kessel. It's Phil Kessel Loves Hot Dogs, our favorite segment each week in which we look at the foibles and uh, professional malfeasance sometimes of the hockey media. Uh, many, many candidates this week, but we have to go to one big winner. That would be Eric Francis, uh, Sportsnet analyst uh, and a radio host for Sportsnet uh, 690 in Calgary. He offered two tickets to a lucky listener uh, to Thursday's Pizza Pig Out. If the listener uh, gave the best answer to the following question, name the finishing move that uh, Matheson used on Patterson. Well, you know, Elias Peterson. Uh, and the best ones get the tickets. Creativity counts. So a reader contest to name a wrestling move that concussed a rookie star. To the surprise of no one, Francis apologized. <laughs> it's my, it's clear my attempt at humor with regards to the hit on Elias Peterson was in poor taste. I apologize. I met him in Vancouver and was impressed with him as a person and player. It sickened me to see the aftermath of the hit. Concussions are not to be made light of. I hope he's okay. My bad. Unfortunately, this seems to be a pattern of behavior because as Daniel Carcillo pointed out on Twitter, this is the same guy that tweeted when TJ Brody was invited to represent Canada at Worlds and he declined due to family engagement said, that's weak. It's the second year in a row he chose not to go. TJ Brody's wife has MS. I think that's just a bit insensitive to uh, jump to that conclusion just as uh, this incident was. Well, I hope it got the radio show some attention. And more, more to the point, I hope that it did give the proper promotion to the pizza pig out. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, name the wrestling move that concussed a young hockey player is pretty much why we created Phil Kessel loves hot dogs as a weekly segment. 
It's insane. It's so in poor taste. And uh, this, again, to the surprise of no one, a quick apology for someone who realized that the entire internet and many of his peers were very mad at him. All right, now it's time for Puck Headlines. Dateline Kenya. Tim Hortons flies the Kenya Ice Lions to Canada for a game, and they ended up on the ice with none other than Tim Hortons celebrity endorser Sidney Crosby and Nathan McKinnon. This is one of the coolest brand partnerships I've seen because it's an actual real experience. I've learned a little bit more about it. They flew them out there. They played in a rink. It was only two periods of play. They played against a team of local firefighters. Uh, and apparently after it was done filming, Sid and uh, Mac, uh, Nathan McKinnon, were awesome and just wanted to chat with these guys. You see in the video that um, actually one of the guys is patting Sidney Crosby's face, which seems weird. And apparently he just wanted to see if he w- it was real. Uh, so I love this, and I hope that Tim Hortons, uh, you know, continues his partnership uh, with the Kenya Ice Lions because they can use all the support they get. They yeah, can get. And, and one of those deals where it's like uh, you're just you're just you're happy that that good news can sometimes come across your Twitter feed, mm-hmm. <laughs> and like, and it was like one of those deals where like the entirety of the hockey world and, and much of the sports world uh, was tweeting out and commenting on this video. Really, really well done. Really, really cool. And uh, like you said, hopefully the beginning of a, of a, of a nice partnership there uh, for Tim Hortons and the Kenya Ice Lions. Dateline, Washington, D.C. On the other end of the good hockey feeling spectrum, Tom Wilson speaks. The hitting aspect of the game is definitely changing a little bit, said Wilson to the Washington Post. And I've got to be smart out there and I've got to play within the rules. And at the end of the day... No one wants to be in the situation that I'm in right now. I've got to change something because obviously it's not good to be out and not helping your team. This Tom is Wilson, like, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> this is like a mad libs for hockey speak. Uh, I, there's nothing you can really comment on this. He's saying the right things. It's just a matter if he's going to do the right things when he gets on the ice. But uh, this is a man who realizes, I think, that obviously he, uh, you know, you got to do a little bit. And, you know, obviously I think he's... Uh, not has many more chances. Well, he's also someone you who's done this. Bef- he's done this before with the "I'm going to change my ways" bit, you know. So yeah. that squeaking in the background is my dog, by the way. Sneakers. Oh, sneakers. <laughs> Dateline, Washington D.C. again. Lars Eller may be even a bigger villain than Tom Wilson. He's taunting the Bruins bench and getting punched for it on opening night, and now he's trash talking. The beloved future Stanley Cup champion in waitings, Toronto Maple Leafs, saying this about the Leafs, quote, we're used to playing against Sidney Crosby and Evgeny Malkin. Everything kind of drops from there. So it's not that special to play the Leafs. It's a good team like a lot of others. They'll probably be a playoff team, I think. Disrespecting Austin Matthews of the, you know, soon to be 143 goals in the season, John Tavares, Mitch Marner. All of them. Lars Eller coming down with the hammer. I love everything about this quote. And you go, Lars Eller. Like, you go, Glenn Coco. Uh, we have so much problem with players being so, you know, complimentary towards each other and non-confrontational. And he's just speaking his thoughts there. And look, how can he be wrong? For many years, he has battled against the top two centers in the league. And he's just, you know, saying what he is. So this is rightfully bulletin board material. I hope that Toronto... Uh, totally blows us out of proportion as they already oh, have. Yeah. Yeah, and Nazem um, Kadri has already come down and, and you know, been, this is bulletin board material. This is disrespecting us. And 
and now all you want is a Capitals Leafs playoff series. Hell yeah. It's amazing. <laughs> Dateline your bong. Weed is legal in Canada as of this week, and the NHL, of course, is a weed league. Uh, as Steve Wino wrote in the Associated Press, while the NFL and NBA can suspend and the MLB can fine players for multiple marijuana infractions, only a significantly high amount of the drug found in NHL and NHLPA testing triggers a referral to behavioral health program doctors. Riley Cote, former NHLer and now a cannabis advocate, estimated that about half of the players during his NHL career from 2007 to 2010 used some sort of cannabis for medicinal purposes. Um, the NHL obviously kind of not really enforcing the marijuana policy that other sports do, and uh, the creeping legalization around North America obviously will become a thing for the NHL. What do you think the, the future of weed and the National Hockey League is, Emily? I think this is fascinating because the crux of the story is everyone's saying, okay, well, in Canada and many other, you know, a couple other states that the NHL plays in, it's legalized. You know, are you going to change your policy? But turns out the NHL is the most lenient of any pro sports. And I want to do some more reporting on this because I'm just curious about the fact that they do have this information, but what are they doing it with it? What, you know, how are they tracking this? What quantifies as a specifically high amount of marijuana that a player will test for? But, um, I think as, you know, our country, uh, kind of follows suits with Canada, it becomes a little more normalized. Uh, we won't stigmatize weed as much as some other drugs. We're a sport with guys named Clayton Stoner. That's all I'm saying. Dateline Nashville. We didn't get a chance to talk about this in the last pod, but Austin Watson had his suspension drop from 28 games to 18 games on, on appeal to a neutral arbitrator. His girlfriend uh, released a message that basically blamed herself for the incident. What was your reaction to the suspension reduction and then also the message from uh, Jen Guardino? Suspension reduction, look, it's a league that doesn't have its own domestic violence policy. The league probably uh, went a little too high, and the arbitrator's like, well, you stepped out of bounds, and the league's upset about that. Well, if the league's upset, then create a domestic violence policy, and you don't have to go to an arbitrator. That's all I got there. As for the statement, um, I just feel uncomfortable sometimes commenting on these, which obviously are personal um, issues involving two people in their domestic home, and you never know what exactly happens. I will say that her statement, which the predators, for what it's worth, were fully aware she was putting out, uh, does fall in line with um, a lot of things that victims of domestic abuse do say, uh, blaming herself for the incident. Um, you know, I'm sure there's plenty of other things we don't know, and I hope that they are getting all the support that they need and can get from the predators, NHLPA, and the league. Right, and then it, it does get into that that area, like where people were, were saying, you know, the predator should cut him or or what have you. And another aspect of domestic violence is is the reaction uh, from people who uh, are punished or lose their livelihoods because of situations like that. I remember that being a situation during the Slava Voinov stuff. Um, so, it, like you said, it's it's a, it's a it's a very tough thing to analyze, very tough thing to uh, encapsulate on a on a on a hockey podcast. But I will say though. The only reaction I had was that the people that were blaming the NHL for the reduction in the suspension are completely misguided. This is the player asking the player's union to argue on his behalf to get the suspension cut by a neutral arbitrator. It's the process that the players wanted in the last collective bargaining agreement in order to appeal all manner and sort of suspensions, be they on the ice or off the ice. The NHL handed him a 28-game suspension. It was pretty heavy. It was in some ways unprecedented uh, for an infraction like this. And uh, and the neutral arbitrator knocked it down. So if you've got beef with the suspension being redu- reduced, uh, don't take it up with the NHL. Finally, Dateline, W 
W.E. Elias, the guitar-playing heel who sits in the ring on a chair and disparages the fans in the building and their city at every at every stop. That's my phone. Uh, in a classic heel move, he trash-talked our beautiful orange boy, Gritty, at the Raw in Philadelphia. And while I'm at it, Gritty is not a mascot. <laughs> oh, he is a spitting image of every person in this city. He's a fat, ugly, googly-eyed slob. <laughs> Um, first off, accurate. Uh, second off, once again, no escaping gritty in pop culture these days. And what would be a podcast without a token mention of gritty? I think that's amazing. And I love that the one thing to insult gritty the most is calling him. You are not a mascot. Yeah, that's sad, man. Because after all, he was number five on the, uh, the mascot ranking for us. Yeah. (laughs) Exactly. That's a definitive it's list. Gritty's world. We just live in it. Do we have a rant line? Hi, Greg and Emily. My name is Sean. Third time caller, long time listener. And after all that happened last season, my anger finally boiled over listening to last week's podcast when the always awesome John Bouchagross and Greg kind of agreed about there not being a guy in goaltending. And in talking about it, yet again, a name was left out of the conversation and I've had enough. My rant today is about the Rodney Dangerfield of goaltending, because he gets no respect. Let's rewind a bit to the 2017-18 season. Mr. Dangerfield was fifth in save percentage among goalies who started at least 35 games, and was a hundredth of a point behind Vesna winner Pekka Rene, and ahead of Vasilevsky, Bobrovsky, Helibuck, and Freddie Anderson. His save percentage when his team was shorthanded was 9-1-7, better than Rene, Bobrovsky, Vasilevsky, and Helibuck. The league average save percentage was 9-12, and his was higher than that when his team was shorthanded. For that all-inspiring campaign that he put up that resulted in his team getting a playoff berth, he received zero Vesna Trophy votes. As of Thursday the 11th, he has a 9.55 save percentage in four starts with a 144 GAA. There is a Rodney Dangerfield of goaltending. His name is John Gibson, and he gets no respect. That was uh, an emphatic... Uh, rebuke of us claiming that there are no premium number one star elite goaltenders. And I gotta be honest with you, although I don't like being called incorrect, um, because it happens so often during my day that <laughs> I have to agree with our caller. I, I think John Gibson is as close as we have to a, I mean, there are others, but, but he is definitely in that, that small category of dominant number one guys as evidenced by his ability to drag the Anaheim Ducks to respectability. All I got to say is, amen. I like it. <laughs> Preach. Preach. <laughs> All right. I mean, if he, you he wanna... laid out the facts. What else is there to say? He, he definitely laid out the facts. If you want to call the ESPN rant line, the number that you want to dial up would be 860-516-1029. That's the ESPN rant line. You can get your call on the show, yell at us about various and sundry things. Our thanks to Rocky Wirtz, our thanks to Sarah Sivian, and our thanks to you for listening. If you dig the show, head over to iTunes and lay a little bit of uh, star love and a little bit of review action. 
It helps people find this very podcast. And uh, thanks for listening. Uh, our numbers we got a peek at uh, last week are really, really good and trending in the right direction. So that's always a good thing. It means that we can do more fun things for you. So anyways, I'm Greg Wyshynski. You can find me on Twitter at Wyshynski, W-Y-S-H-Y-N-S-K-I. I'm Emily Kaplan. And if you're industrious, you can find me on Twitter pretty easily. And thanks to Ryan for putting up with yet another marathon podcast full of fun talk, jibber-jabber, and technical difficulties. (laughs) Bye. Bye. This has been ESPN on Ice with Wyshynski and Kaplan. Subscribe to the show in the ESPN app or Apple Podcasts.